it's an update. All right. All righty. So let's go. If you want to put a map up, anyone, uh, you can. I think it's pretty self-explanatory for now, though. So we're going to go. Uh, give me a moment here. Actually, do you want to put an ISW map up there? No, or not. All right. So we'll start with um, the Kharkiv and Luhansk areas. As we know, we've looked at um, uh, Ukrainian advances east of the Osco water reservoir. If you look on a map, it looks like a finger lake, but it's actually a reservoir. It's, it's and, up now. Hmm? Okay. Thank you. Ukrainians have consolidated uh, three weeks ago on that line, and they've had to move forward to several objectives that kind of form a, a north-south axis. Uh, Troitsky, Svatove, Liman, eventually Lysychansk and Sverdonetsk. Um, this is important as um, the Russians also have not been oriented in the north on this axis, so it's new to them. So it means it's difficult, more difficult for them as well, because they're not used to, they haven't been prepared for this kind of attack from Ukraine. Um, so, as you know, uh, 1 October, Liman fell. Um, so who was there? What was in it? <clears throat> the 208th Cossack Kuku Brigade of Separate Motors, blah, 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 fancy name, no effect. And the Kuban Regiment um, were stationed there. They were in a defensive battle position. Russian regular forces from other units were attached. They did leave about a week and a half ago, a week ago. However, new elements uh, from the 20th Russian uh, Army uh, did uh, attempt to enforce uh, Liman in the last two, three days. Uh, they were either destroyed or withdrew under pressure. Uh, and as we know, the Ukrainians uh, attacked from many directions, the north, the northwest, the west, the southwest, um, and eventually uh, set up, uh, um, control, uh, had controlled fires and the escape routes, I guess you could say. And as a result, the uh, Russians who did attempt to flee were destroyed. And for the most part, actually, uh, even more so than Izium, percentage-wise or per capita, more Russians were either killed or surrendered there than any other um, battle so far. So we suspect there was about three to uh, three to four thousand Russians uh, in in the Liman area. I suspect it's a little less, to be honest with you. I, I suspect um, twelve hundred are killed in action. The rest are prisoners and maybe a few stragglers. It was actually it's a watershed moment. It was it was. Not it was much more controlled than Izium from the Ukrainian perspective because the Ukrainians had much more time <clears throat> to cut off the Russians as they were trying to retreat. Now in the Russian press, which is worth nothing, just just so you know, they talk about the Great Escape. It was their Dunkirk. It wasn't. They didn't. You know, there were some forces that tried to move west from a different position further east, and they were um, they were destroyed and then and repelled. So we can consider that. Uh, withdrawal of Russian forces from Liman. It's a very important uh, point to make, and the liberation of Liman will probably be a major historical event uh, in the future, perhaps even a uh, Netflix series, who knows, uh, or some type of TV show. Um, so what that means now is the 20th Russian Army there, uh, 20th Army, is further east, perhaps in, you know, in depth in, in, in Luhansk Oblast. <clears throat> and they're starting to orient their forces for the next Ukrainian attack. I think they, they probably see it coming. There isn't a play for them at this moment. We will see Ukrainians move up 
on that axis, uh, if you look at a line, and eventually Starobilsky is, is, I would say, the final objective. When they reach that is a different story. I suspect they're going to move incrementally as they have been doing so far. Uh, in the meantime, they also now uh, have upset many Russians by being able to strike <clears throat> at much uh, with a greater advantage from the Liman area into Syrodonetsk. Currently, Krimina, Lysychansk, even Syrodonetsk are on the receiving end of a whole lot of artillery, and that's a good thing for Ukraine. Um, consider, also, it's considerable to note that the 14th Army Corps, the Russian one, uh, in the vicinity of Svatova is greatly attrited. Um, the 58th Russian Brigade there, 58th is almost destroyed, is actually destroyed uh, almost completely, 95%. Um, these are major formations that the Russians had. <clears throat> in addition, there were other uh, Russian formations in the region that were relocated to Kherson Oblast, and what was left is now being destroyed. Uh, this could lead to the collapse of all Russian forces in, in northern, northeastern Ukraine, for sure. Not, it's not hyperbolic. It just means there's no one left. Um, the Russians uh, made a disastrous error to relocate them to Kherson, and, uh, and we're seeing the effects of um, the Ukrainians actually pivoting their best and their, and their most effective uh, units from Kherson, because that's where their attack was, oh, up to Kharkiv. So it's almost like a switcheroo. Uh, the Russians just screwed up. Big time. They put the wrong people in the wrong place, and the Ukrainians put the right people in the right place. And it's 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 a force multiplier. They've increased their their successes uh, far greater than initially had been even planned. <clears throat> now going to the Donbass, you're looking at Russian forces are still attempting to push into Bakhmut. Uh, people ask the question why. I can't tell you why. Bakhmut, obviously going west in their mind, is a good thing. They're getting more of Ukraine. But it's just not the place to do it. And they keep committing tons of forces to doing it, and they're losing a lot. Um, we have seen, sorry, on the tactical level, we have seen uh, Wagner PMC and the 6th Motorized, Separate Motorized Rifle Brigade uh, on the Russian side uh, conduct rips, relief in places where they're switching out, re, and the ones in the rear end up getting resupplied by convicts or, or, or the paramilitary wing of Alcoholics Anonymous have showed up and they keep switching around um, to no effect really, it's pretty bizarre and they just keep bouncing their heads off this Ukrainian wall in Bakhmut <clears throat> um, I suspect there will be counterattacks from the Ukrainian forces on the flanks of Bakhmut, especially the, the northern flank the left flank there because we've seen Liman taken and Lisa Chance is only <clears throat> a dozen kilometers from that position we're looking at the Ukrainians exploiting their successes in Liman. I, see, I suspect they'll consolidate after Krimina and then push down into Lysychansk and Sverodonetsk. In doing so, they will end up cutting off uh, a good ten or 15,000 Russians in the Bakhmut pocket. We'll call it the Bakhmut pocket for ease. Um, again, they could do the same thing they did with Liman. They'd attack Bakhmut from the north, the northeast, the west, the southwest. Um, and it w would force either the Russians to be destroyed or withdraw. W w would 10,000 be destroyed in place? I, I think that's unlikely. I think they would sur surrender or withdraw beforehand. Um, and as far as um, Bilharivka, as we know, has been taken, uh, it is definitely a staging area, point for Ukrainian forces. And in general, the disposition in Donbass is waiting, Donetsk rather, is waiting for the Ukrainian 
uh, consolidation of forces to their north or to the, on their left flank in order to uh, conduct a counteroffensive into, into Donetsk proper. I don't know what <clears throat> Ukrainian plans are. Uh, it would seem that they could do all of this before winter uh, and get into position and uh, trip the enemy through the winter and slowly take off parts, or they could attack now uh, and push Russia to the border uh, before winter. Uh, it's definitely in the cards, especially if Ukraine is able to dig in. If you look at the list of chance, there's a wedge from Belorivka, and you can see Ukrainian forces pushing east to Starobilsk, then there's nothing that stops them from going straight south like a dagger right down Route 66, ironically, um, and it can push into Lysychansk and uh, Syrodonetsk, effectively cutting off an enormous portion of the Russian military in eastern Ukraine. Uh, one can hope. Uh, this is the direction it's going. What we don't know is timelines. Uh, and that's dependent on, well, one, uh, Ukrainian decision-making. Um, the battle rhythm will be set by them. Their sustainment has a big part of it. You know, how well they're comfortable, uh, they feel their sustainment plan is to support this offensive. And or do they want to wait out the winter and just punish the Russians um, so that in the spring there, the Ukrainians have been rested and more have been trained? Uh, or do they take the chances that Russians will train some of their own soldiers and have a better opportunity in the spring. So there are certain considerations that the Ukrainians have to make. And obviously, I'm not privy to any of those factors. But one can assume they will exploit what they can now. Uh, and I don't think they'll stop through the winter. I don't think they'll. I think they'll slow down as per the conditions, weather conditions. But I do not think they will stop. <clears throat> That's the situation in the center. Let's go to Kherson Oblast. As we know, Kherson Oblast, west of the Dnipro has right now the largest concentration and the best concentration of Russian forces in Ukraine. These are the ones that were switched over from Kharkiv and, and added to the ones that were already there. We now have four motorized rifle brigades in the north portion. We've got 5th Army in the center, combined arms army, and we've got another four motorized brigades in the south around Kherson City. Interspersed amongst them are three artillery brigades, um, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, the 195th or something is an artillery brigade on the east side of the Donet on the Dnieper, um, and that would be the, probably the most common sense thing that the Russians have done in the area, because uh, they're safe there. Uh, in addition, uh, we do have reports that about 20 Iskander's uh, platforms uh, have been um, uh, railroaded there to a hair saw. Um Probably a bad idea for the Russians, but they want to reinforce failure, and that's what's happening. Uh, in general, there's fighting going across all lines in Kherson. There is uh, a bulge on, from the Ukrainian side pushing in to where the 5th Russian, uh, the 5th Army is there. And what they're attempting to do is uh, to get to Novokharivka, uh, uh, which is a dam. They want to cut Kherson west of the Dnipro in half, like a, like a piece of pie or a cookie, whatever you cut in half and uh, be able to attack it from the inside. <clears throat> the Combined Arms Army is big, uh, and that's why things are slow, because the Ukrainians are treading them. They're not uh, doing a, a, a gallant cavalry charge into death, into certain death. Um, they're treading them slowly, um, and they're doing this in the north. They've liberated a few villages, and they've done some uh, advancing in the south. Uh, what, what gives, someone asks, well... Uh, many, many of the resources used to have this stunning victory in the north were, were, were oriented or moved, relocated from Kherson Oblast over 
to Kharkiv to exploit a Russian weakness. And what that meant was the new, uh, the new task verb, new mission task verb for the Ukrainians in Kherson was to contain or to block. So in other words, you fix them, block them, contain, you keep them there, keep those Russians there. Um, but strangely enough for the Ukrainians, the Russians actually took this to mean that they're going to put more and more into that pocket. They've, um, almost allowed for them. I would even argue that the Ukrainians have allowed the Russians to resupply, to move more things, because of the more things, men, materiel, blood and treasure, that the Russians put on the west side of the Dnipro River, the worse it is for them. And they're very eager to do it, and I think the Ukrainians are eager to let them do it too. Uh, once, when those resources, whether they're artillery, whether they're, you know, different uh, quick reaction brigades, some really switched on battle groups that they've moved up north. If they move them back south to Kherson uh, and, and focus the HIMARS on Russian resupply and sustainment in Kherson Oblast, it's going to be, um, it's going to be, that's going to be a turkey shoot. So I suspect the Ukrainians, uh, we noticed um, uh, some uh, maneuvering from the Ukrainian side with a battalion, apparently a very large armored force, and that got the Russians spooked and they started flying around. Um, that to me sounds like a demonstration, like the Ukrainians want to show the Russians that they're there. And maybe the Russians are if the Russians had a mind to withdraw any troops to move them over to help out in Donetsk, uh, they'd stop and go, no, 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 we need them here because it looks like the Ukrainians are attacking. Um, I, I suspect this is the, you know, in layman's terms, the Ukrainians are playing with the Russians in Kherson to get them to stay engaged in Kherson to commit more manpower because the more manpower and, and things that they provide to the Russian forces west of the Dnipro River means these are out, these are units and forces that they can't use in central Ukraine. So it's a very smart play. They're keeping them occupied in Kherson Oblast. So uh, where that goes, uh, I don't know. Do I suspect that there's a counteroffensive coming shortly? No. I think Kherson Oblast is, uh, is going to be a place for Russians to for the Ukrainians to have the Russians move a lot of equipment to, and uh, and to and to attack it when they're when they're prepared, um, this is a good move. Uh, and I just it would make sense with all the information we've had because we saw the Ukrainians limit Russian resupply. We saw them discuss a surrender. Um, uh, Russian forces uh, turned on each other. The ones that wanted to surrender were told no, um, that they'd be shot. So we saw the Ukrainians limit all of their sustainment with mass fires, with special forces, shooting down helicopters, shooting barges, and then they stopped for the most part. Well, that's because they went up north. And then the Russians might have got a full sense of security and they began to resupply again by helicopter, the Mi-26 tank. It's a transport helicopter. So, um, so it looks as though, um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a planned, uh, ruse. Uh, to get the Russians to put uh, more bad money after bad money. Um, so this this can exist for as long as the Ukrainians can contain them, and it will obviously end when the Ukrainians intend to attack Kherson Oblast. The next steps for them would be to get Kherson Oblast, force a surrender. There's about 25,000 troops there now on the Russian side. It would be probably, you know, could be the end of the Russian military period if they lost that many in one go. But I suspect they'd filter through the river, swim across, drown, get killed. Um, and at that point, Ukraine has an open road after the river to Melitopol, um, and the Russians would have a very hard time defending it. Uh, they'd be attacked from the north and the west, and they have no no navy to protect them on the south. So all bodes well for Ukraine in, in Kherson when the time, uh, when the right time comes, 
<clears throat> As for pol- politics, Lendlease started today. This is great deal, uh, great news for Ukraine. It allows for more weapons, new weapons, greater amounts. I think the difference is it doesn't have to be signed off by the president each time. I'm willing to have a input on that later. France is sending Caesars they had built for Denmark uh, in uh, to Ukraine instead of Denmark. Um, in total, about 300,000 Russians of fighting age apparently have left in the last week. Uh, 10 million Russians in total have left the country since the 24th of December. At least 1 million Russians are in Georgia. 1 million are in Turkey. Uh, 500,000 in Uzbekistan. 1 million to Kazakhstan. Um, I don't have all the number breakdowns, but large amounts. And still there are rumors that persist of the Russians enacting martial law, banning all males between the ages of 18 and 65 from leaving the country. <clears throat> On the Israel front, because I always get asked, uh, the Israeli army ordered, not asked, Israelis who are in the military or active service or active reservists to leave Russia immediately and return to Israel. Many reasons as to why. Uh, there's an understanding that the Russians are holding or threatening uh, Israel with 150,000 Jews remaining in Russia with problems. As you know, they've shut down the Jewish agency, which is ostensibly a cultural group that helps spiritual and cultural needs of Russian Jews in far-flung areas. The Russians have now called that a foreign lobby group, and they banned it. In addition, um, that that would possibly be why there's a bit of a distancing between the Ukrainian leadership and the Israeli leadership to give Israelis that breathing space. However, as we know, we have uh, uh, a lot of drones, um, uh, Iranian drones, about 14 or 15 of them have been shot down after the announcement that Israel transferred anti-Iran drone technology, anti-drone technology from a Iranian anti-drone technology, rather, uh, was transferred from Israel to Ukraine. Fourteen of those, the Shahab, Shahubi, Hukerzi, uh, have been shot down, uh, and they are no longer considered a threat to Ukrainian forces. So this brings us to one last person, uh, I forget his name, um, it's in my tweet if you want to follow uh, uh, a, a Russian who has an Israeli passport, who actually was a volunteer for that, one of the outreach groups, uh, it's a cultural liaison groups with the, for Jewish people in the former Soviet republics called Nativ, um, and uh, he was a talking mouthpiece, uh, he's a Russian fascist rather, he was a talking mouthpiece on, on Russian TV. Uh, I don't know his name, so I can find it. He uh, <clears throat> he would uh, gin up war with the United States and Russia, uh, make up stories about uh, Ukraine being Nazis, and he sold himself as a, as apparently as former Israeli Secret Service specialist or head of the, <laughs> which makes no sense. He's basically like a head of the uh, the Boy Scouts of uh, Israel in Russia. Uh, a very unique position. It's a cultural attaché. It's not a government organization per se. It's just a cultural. Um, uh, a liaison group, and he has fled Russia. So that's that's the funny part of it. Uh, but a lot of anti-Semites are going after Israel now because of it. Uh, it's ad nauseum, so I'm not going to discuss it. Uh, other than that, that hits off all the topics, military by oblast, plus a bit of political. Um, if there are any questions, I, I don't have the most amount of time, but I, I'm willing to take some questions. Uh, I'm just going to get a glass of water and please talk amongst yourselves.